Welcome to the Power Hour. There is power in the Word. That's what we believe, and that's what we want to do every Sabbath when we present the Word of God. I'm talking about Jakarta Center Church and Facts of Life Ministry. We want to tell you that if you take the opportunity to download the Word of God into your system, it is my belief that the Word of God will produce something amazing in your life. And so if you have come for a moment of upload, download and upload, God is truly going to, going to bless you. So Revision 2020 is coming to an end this morning. For the last month, we have been trying to beat on the concept that we need to revision 2020, not on how we see 2020, but we need to revision 2020 based upon how God sees it. Uh, 2020 has been difficult. 2020 has brought delay. 2020 has brought disappointment. But in spite of these difficulties and disappointments and delays, we can look at them with God's eyes. And that is what I've been challenging you to do. So week after week, I've been taking one of these challenges, whether it, been, it has been delay, disappointment. And I've been saying, look at it from God's perspective and let that perspective be the vision that you use now in looking at your particular situation. And if you can do that, I believe that you're going to be able to survive 2020 and any other uh, year that is coming up. I want to read from... Malachi, beginning in verse uh, chapter three, beginning verse number 13. Uh, that is where our text of um, preaching is going to come from this morning. Malachi chapter three and verse number 13. Malachi lived in a time in which uh, the Persians were in control. At this particular time, um, the Persians uh, control everything, but they allow the people of Judah and Jerusalem to live within their own territory. And Malachi is writing about 500 years before the time of, of Jesus. And he comes just a few years after uh, Haggai. We talked about Haggai last week. And so he is interested in presenting to people God's perspective, especially when faith is challenged and faith meets a lot of difficulties. I encourage you to read, to read Malachi. It's just a meager four chapters. It's a beautiful book. Now, Malachi comes at the end of the Old Testament, but in reality, in the Hebrew Bible, it's not the last book in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles is the last book in the Old Testament, but the English uh, translation, uh, tr English translations, they put Malachi as the last book. So Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 13, the word reads, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, listen to this, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord? So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. 
and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. And I'll spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. I've decided to marry this text to the title, Revision in Doubt. Revision in Doubt. Let us pray. Father, take away all doubt. Give us confidence in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let us deal with the elephant in the text this morning. Malachi's audience has come to the conclusion that it is useless to serve God. Now, something is useless when it has no value. Or it is not being used. Something is useless when it has no value or is not being used. Useless things are like your subscription for a particular app, but you don't use it. It is useless when you buy that pair of shoes, you like it so much, but when you bring it home, you keep it in the storage, and for some reason, you don't find it as, as useful. It's a mat that you buy for exercise, but never smells your sweat. It's a book that looks good on the shelf, but you never open it to shuffle some knowledge into your brain. It is having people around you Smart people around you, but you never tap into them for wisdom to help you. It is owning a car. It is owning a bike. It is owning a laptop. It is owning a phone, but never actually utilize it. It is being a part of an organization this being a part of a group, but you never actually get involved and you never get, you never uh, enjoy the benefits of being a part of the group. That is, is, is useless. That is of no value. Uh, somehow there is a change of perspective. A perspective that at once was attractive. Attractive in such that uh, you were intoxicated by excitement over the subscription. You're excited about that book on Amazon. You're excited about that guy or that girl. You're excited about that pair of shoes. But after you have have it in your possession, the intoxication of excitement dies down and you're no longer excited as you once were. There has been a change of perspective. A perspective that was attractive. But now it is no longer attractive. Because whatever you enjoyed or you're excited about is no longer the same. And therefore when you have this thing in your possession. Whatever it is. It is, it is useless. All of a sudden. 
and that urge to use the app dies down. All of a sudden, that urge to exercise on that mat dies down. All of a sudden, that urge to engage and, and talk and, and, and be with those people that are, are smarter than you dies down. All of a sudden, you don't have it anymore. And you're now wondering, did I make a mistake? You are now in a, in a season of, my goodness, this was just a waste of my time. You're now in a season of, why did I really get this? Why is it taking up space in my house? Why is it taking up space in my life? Why is it taking up space in my mind? Why is it taking up space? And you're trying to figure out how to get rid of it. Either you're going to give it to somebody. Either you're going to just throw it away or throw it away. The situation I described to you is how God has become to the people in Malachi's day. People in Malachi's day enjoyed going to the temple. They enjoyed uh, worship. They enjoyed list, uh, following the injunction of, of Solomon when he said, when you pray towards the temple, God is going to hear your prayer. And so they, they, they enjoy doing that. They enjoy bringing their lambs and they enjoy bringing their little kid goats and bringing their heifers and bringing their sheep and their rams. They enjoy doing this and, and they bring it to God. But somehow there's been a change of perspective. God who was once attractive is no longer attractive. What do you do when you no longer feel like praying? What do you do when you feel like God is not answering your prayers? What do you do when you, you don't feel like giving back your 10%? What do you do when you have no motivation to do anything religious? Uh, what do you do when you feel as if the fire that you had at the day you were baptized is no longer the same. What do you do in those moments? What should you do in those moments? I want you to understand that there are things in this world that can never become useless. Things like water to drink. Things like air to breathe. Things like clothing to cover. These things will never become useless. They are in a category of the forever useful. Forever needed. Forever you can't do without them. God lives or is in the same category as one whom you cannot do without. There is not a season in, in time when God ever goes out of fashion or God ever expires, God is always current. God is always updated. God is always someone that you need. God is always somebody that you need to have beside you. But what has happened to the people of Malachi to the point that they no longer see God as useful? They no longer see God as important. This is what has happened to them. That the sunshine of faith in God has turned to the, uh, to the, cloud, to the dark clouds of doubt. And when you are dealing with the dark clouds of doubt, you end up asking God questions. 
Your mind fills with interrogations and investigations. And notice what the people are, are investigating about God. Notice what they are saying about God. That is, what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? And what that we have walked according, as mourners before the Lord of hosts? They are filled up with these doubts and these questions. And they're in a season of, of doubting God. They're in a season of not really trusting God. And that is why God has become uh, useless. And the reason is God's promises to the people of Malachi have not come true. What God promised hasn't been produced. What God said you would have hasn't actually come true. And now I, I need you to know that God had promised the people of Malachi a life of success, Putra. God had promised the people of Malachi a life of prosperity mark god had promised a life that meets earthly standards good god had promised to them that life would be good and i want you to know this morning that god's promises are not only spiritualized they are literal and they're not just some idea an ideology but they are a reality and there's nothing wrong in expecting God to do good things for you. There is nothing wrong in expecting God to come through with the promotion. There's nothing wrong in expecting God to come through with the raise. There's nothing wrong in expecting God to bring you to the place where you are in a bigger house. There's nothing wrong in asking God to increase your bank account. There's nothing wrong in asking God to give you the shoes that you like. There's nothing wrong in asking God to make your business grow. Because God is not only interested in spiritualizing everything. God is interested in making everything literal. Hallelujah, somebody. God can truly provide not only spiritual blessings, but God can provide material blessings. And that is why Abraham was rich. That is why Job was the richest man in the East. That is why Solomon amassed great wealth. That is why David is one of the most richest kings uh, in the world. Christianity and prosperity are not at odds with each other because God is the one who created prosperity. When you read a few verses uh, prior to this in verse number 10, you clearly see that God had promised the people uh, literal material blessings. I want you to read with me for a second in verse number 10 of Malachi uh, chapter 3. Bring all, hey, this, we, we love this verse, right? Uh, but he, I want you to see the context in which this verse was talked about because sometimes we miss the context. Bring all the tithes. Mm. In the storehouse. I believe in the storehouse. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. You see, God had promised Israel blessings. When you read this text carefully, what God said was this. If you give me your 10th, your 10%, if you bring all of it to the storehouse. I will ensure that your grapes, your olives, and your wheat are plenteous. Because grapes and wheat and, and olives were the, the prime products or produce of, of Palestine in those times. 
So God says, if you bring it to me, I will ensure that it is, it is, it is plenteous. If you give to me spiritually, I will give to you materially. And so this was God's promise to the people. And therefore they had this expectation from God that he would truly fulfill for them. And God is saying, if you invest in me, you will harvest from me. If you invest into me, you will harvest from me. And the people had invested in God. But it seems that they were not able to harvest from God. And I'm talking to somebody who feels that they have invested in God. But they have not harvested from God. And the true to life principle is this. When we invest our time, our resources, our energies, we expect to harvest the same or more. We, we call it return on investment. But when the people looked at their return on investment, when they look at how they invested in God and how much they put in, in terms of building the temple and ensuring that the tithe was there and ensuring that the priests had something to eat, ensuring that service went on. As much as they did that, they felt as if God did not meet their expectations. God did not give them the harvest that they hoped for. And I want you to know that unfulfilled dreams are the paddy field of doubt. You know how it is when somebody has promised you something. They have promised to come through for you. They have promised to do something for you. They have promised to be a certain way to you. But they do not meet your dreams. You start to doubt. You start to believe that this is not what I envision for. Because the people of Israel and the people of 2020, the people of JCC, people listening to me right now, you believe that faith should equal in favor. You believe that because I am faithful, because I am doing the will of God, because I am praying, because I am giving, I should have favor. My family should have favor. My job should have favor. My work should have favor. My health should have favor. My relationships should have favor. Everything about me should have favor because you believe that I've invested in God and I should harvest from God. And we believe that. And I have no problems with that. And sometimes we believe and we expect that God should move immediately on our promises. And when it is not happening as it should, when it's not flowing as it should, when we are not getting the prayers as we should get them answered, that's what I'm saying, then we start to say, God, God, are you for real? God, are you really real? Are you the God that I read about? Are you the God that I've been taught about? And because of this disconnect between expectation and realization, a doubt begins to breed in us. We start to believe that there's a problem. And that is something that is a problem for many of us. We have expectation. But when expectation 
is divested from realization we have problems when expectation and realization cannot bridge we feel sad when there is a chasm when there is a crater between expectation and realization we feel bad and then we start to look at god and say god god i think we have a problem now now you see the people had a problem to deal with because Many of you know that the land of Palestine, when Joshua brought in the tribes from the wilderness, when he brought them in uh, to Canaan, uh, you know that there were 12 tribes. It was uh, in north, it was, it was Dan at, at, at the north, and then it streamed all the way down to Beersheba. This, this was, was a large territory. But when, when the, the, the people come back from Babylon, they don't have that big territory anymore. If you look at the map, they have just that little, little black circle. You, you see that little black circle? That is, that is the, 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 the province of Yehud. They were not even, it was not even as big as Judea before or Judah in the time of, of, of of david it was a small little province just around jerusalem and the surrounding area and so the people they 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 they, they have been promised that there's going to be this desire of all nations that is going to come but he hasn't come yet and then their land is tiny and and it's small and some of us we are at that particular place that the land is tiny and it is it is small that the the, the the land we've invested in is still tiny and small it's not growing it's tiny right you're investing in your company, but it's still tiny. Your investment is still tiny. You're investing into your family, but the investment is still tiny. At some point, you get tired of that. You get tired of that. You, you said, I'm putting in the effort. I'm putting in the energy, but why is it not growing as it should? I am dieting. You know what I'm saying? I'm dieting, but why am I not shedding the weight? I'm running, but I'm not shedding the weight. I'm saving, but I'm not getting ahead. I come in early, but, 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 but I'm not getting ahead. I'm not getting the promotion. How come I'm stuck in the same place? And I've been here for years. It seems like it's been the same thing for 10 solid years. I still remain tiny. Yet God has promised me good things. And once again, unfulfilled dreams feed that doubt. They, they feed that doubt. They, 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 they created in us. They curated in us. Because they're like, man, he's not fulfilling his promises. And so that doubt keeps, keeps growing. And you see it right there. You, you work hard. But you're not getting what you, what you deserve. And uh, how, how funny it is that, that you, you have your 9 to 5. You work hard. You got to struggle through my, uh, Jakarta traffic. But yet an athlete who just plays... Uh, for a few games in a season, he gets to make millions of dollars. Uh, how come that is the case? That somebody who doesn't work as hard as you simply entertains people, you know, is making a lot more money than you. Uh, you look at other people, it seems like they just get it handed to you. At some point, when you start to see those things, and when you, you look at your life, because you're comparing your life and their life, and you realize that your life and their life do not match, what is happening is the doubt in what God has said grows and increase, and it becomes fat, 
and it grows. And that's, that, is, that is what is happening in, in this particular text. The people cannot understand. They cannot get why they cannot have their dreams fulfilled. It's a, frust- fr- it's a frustrating place to be. To see that your dreams are not being, being, you know, fulfilled. You're not getting what you deserve. Now, now, Bubur, whether it's Bubur I am or Bubur Manado, I've had Bubur Manado, it's really nice. You know, Bubur Manado needs um, a pot to be cooked in. You cannot make Bubur Manado without a pot. Are you with me? But there needs to be a pot to cook the Bubur Manado for it to be Bubur. I want you to know that doubt is also cooked in a specific pot. That, that is, there is a, a bubur called doubt that is cooked in a specific pot. There is a place that uh, doubt can be cooked in. That, 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 that is, there is a place in which doubt can materialize and it can be cooked in such a way that it becomes truly doubtful. And when you look at this particular text carefully, you begin to see that the, 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 the part of doubt in which the people's doubts were being created is talking to each other because each, each one of them was frustrated. And so they'll go to each other and talk about their challenges and their issues and, and they'll, they'll discuss, man, I've been farming. Uh, my, my orchard is not where it needs to be. Mine too. Well, guess what? God is not good. And this is what Malachi is trying to call the people to, to help them to see and to realize. In fact, when you read the whole book of Malachi, you begin to see that it is sectioned off in about six sections. And each section talks about the boo-boo of doubt that is being cooked by the people. In the first section is, is people doubting the very love of God. In the next section is people saying, we can give God anything that God uh, deserves in another section it's husbands uh, divorcing their wife in another section it's people saying god is not a god of justice and here in this text that we are reading is everything coming like to a crescendo to a peak where now all of their doubts have come to this singular uh, conviction that it is useless to serve god it is it is it is pointless and and god is pointing out their their boo-boo of doubt right here he says to them your words have been harsh against me you are doubting me you're going you're 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 going against me and notice what they say notice what they say what have we spoken against you so check this the people do not challenge god that they are doubting him in fact they become defensive about their doubts notice what god says you have spoken harsh words against me Notice they are speaking against God. They are not speaking to God. God is saying, and I need to bring this to you right here. God is not against you having doubts. We have questions. That's okay. But if you notice that anybody who ever asked questions of God, like Job or Habakkuk or David, they never spoke against God. They spoke to God. Now, I'm about to help you right here. When you have doubts, do not speak 
against God. You need to speak to God. That is, take your doubt and take your questions, take your insecurities, take things you don't understand and go to God and say, God, I don't get this. God, it doesn't make sense to me. God, help me to understand it. God, help me to see it because God is not against your questions. God is simply against a disposition that is going to speak against him because this is the reality. You and I do not see as God sees. Let's do an experiment right now. The only thing that you can see is the screen. If you're, if you're looking at me preaching, you can see the screen. But you cannot see outside your house right now. You cannot see behind you right now. You cannot see maybe peripheral, per, uh, your peripheral vision you can see. But, but your vision is limited. You and I have what we call tunnel vision. We only see one way most of the times. And so therefore, when you're having doubt about something, when you're having doubt about someone, especially God himself, you need to channel your doubts. You need to channel what you are going through and bring them over to God and tell God, God, I don't get this. How long am I going to go through this? How long am I going to be in this situation? God, I don't understand this. How, how are you taking me over the top? How are you going to help me uh, become healthy? Lord, you have said, I, if I give back, I'm going to get back from you. Lord, how are you going to do that? Because right now, God, I am really, really doubting you right, right now. You see, I love God because God is not afraid of your questions. Uh, God is not afraid of your doubts. God is not afraid of your challenges. God is not afraid of any of that. In fact, God can take it. The only thing that God cannot take is when you speak against him. And notice God is saying, you have been speaking against me. They were not speaking just to themselves. They were having what I call a doubt party. They would come together and discuss. And you know how it is. There are some people in your life that come to you and they blow up everything in your life. You tell them, for example, you know what? I've not been getting the right amount of hours at work for my boss. I'm always getting the short change of the uh, the short end of the stick. You know, instead of me getting the full eight hours, he's always giving me 7.5 or seven hours. And it's been going on for seven months. Now, I want to address this with my boss because I think it's unfair and it ain't right. Now, this friend who has come into your life, who I call him your feeder of doubt, he will say, you know what? That ain't right. And you'll be like, yeah, I know it ain't right. And he says to you, you know what? Don't only complain to the boss, right, about your your, your eight hour or, or short change in, in your hours, you need to tell your boss, you quit. You need to tell your boss, I'm not being valued here. And so what they do is they take what you intended just to be a simple, easy approach, discuss with your boss, solve the issue, but they blow it up to another level. And you're like, wait a minute, me talking to my boss and you telling me to quit are two different things. But this is what happens when you have people around you that do not challenge your thinking, that simply tell you yes, yes, yes. They tell you yes, 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 and they never tell you no. And these are the kind of people that you have to be very careful of, especially when you are in a doubtful situation. Because all they're going to do is they are going to produce doubt in you. Here is a, 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 a comment that I want you to take home with you. When doubt takes root, 
It can produce forests of dangerous opinions and actions. When doubt takes root, it can produce forests of dangerous opinions and actions. And now check this. Notice the, the dangerous opinion and action that is being, being uh, espoused, developed right here. The change of perspective. Remember, change of perspective from an attractive God to a God who's no longer attractive. Notice what they say. So now we call the proud blessed. Can you see the change of perspective? Those who are proud, or those who don't do the will of God, those who choose to live life by themselves, we call them blessed. We, we call them blessed. Now, now here is, 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 is a change of perspective because the word blessed is what we read in Psalm 1 when it says, blessed is the man who walks and who follows the will of God. They have changed the word of God here now. And as some of us do that, we change the word of God to fit our perspective, to fit our situation that is always dangerous. So they say, so now we call the proud blessed. And then they say, uh, for those who do wickedness are raised up. It says, those who are doing good, those who are doing well, they, they're doing evil. They are moral. They have changed their definition of morality. And they said that, hey, if you live your life any kind of way, and wickedness is basically to do anything wrong and evil, to live your life based upon your own vision and your own wisdom, you don't follow rules. You don't follow laws. You don't listen to anybody. You like it, you do it. That is wickedness. And then it says they even tempt God and they go free. They're like, you know what? They can do whatever they want and God is not even going to challenge them about it. And so they are saying that is the life we need to live. And that is, this is what they're saying. We need to stop doing right and we need to stop doing, we need to start doing wrong. They have concluded, Gun, that Wickedness pays and righteousness doesn't pay. They have said to themselves, if we do wrong, it's going to pay. And the reality is that truly, sometimes this is truth, that those who do wickedness, those who do evil, they get away with it. It is the corrupt people that get away with it. It is those who are breaking the law and, and killing people that get away with it. We have regimes in this world that kill innocents and they seem to get away with it. It's not every day that Joko Sugiyarto Chandra admits to, 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 uh, he admits to him. he admits to corruption. It's not every day that this happens. In fact, there are many people like him that get away with it. And sometimes you're like, man, you know what? I should just do a little evil, man. I mean, the boss ain't gonna know that I took a little extra hundred rupee. I mean, he's not he's not gonna know that. You know what I mean? If I just divert the cash, I mean, it, it, they're gonna know. It's not every day. That everybody who cheats on a test gets away with it. It's not every day that a driver who drives in the wrong way on the tow road gets caught by the police. It's not every day that a cheating lover gets caught. It's not every day that a thief gets caught. You see, the, the, the illusion settles in our minds and in the minds of the people of Malachi. And that I can get away with it. 
I'm not going to get caught. And that's what they're saying. Look, doing it right, following the will of God, that's useless. Let's change the tactics and let's live life the way we want to live it. Let, let's, let's, amen, let, they just let go of this religion thing. It's keeping us away back from the life we could be living. One writer put it this way. The people of Malachi's day, they, they, they are focusing so much on, on, on their wretchedness. They're focusing so much on their problems. That all they see is that the grass is greener on the other side. And that the grass is brown on their turf. And therefore they, they want to hop over. But here is something you may not see and you may not realize. But I want you to realize it this morning. And that is this. Doubt marinates on bad. <laughs> Doubt marinates on bad without contemplation of a better future. Doubt is restricted. In that it only focuses on the present, but it does not see a better future. It is only stuck on the fact that there is bills to be paid, but it doesn't see that there can be relief somewhere. Doubt is only stuck on the fact that there is sickness in the body. Doubt is only stuck on the fact that there is no promotion. Doubt is stuck in the fact that there is problems at home. It's only stuck in a particular situation. One of the things that has made life hard in this COVID season is that we have, have, we have had to be restricted in our four walls. We cannot move. We have not, we've been restricted to working from home. And we're not used to that because we are used to going out. We are used to going to the restaurant. We are used to going to the airport and traveling the country. We are used to going to Bali and Manado and Maiden. We are used to traveling to Raja Ampat and Flores and, and other places around the world. We are used to that. But COVID-19 2020 said, hold up. <laughs> Let's take you for a moment. You ain't going nowhere. And it restricted us in, in this, in this Diruma uh, Aja. And we just had to be there. We couldn't, we couldn't move. I'm here to suggest to you that doubt is like being in a house in COVID-19 and not being moved, not allowed, not being able to move anywhere. You're just stuck in a certain four walls of thinking. You're just stuck in a certain four walls of perspective you don't see anything else and that is why it is important that we should not only be stuck in one particular place in it's stuck in one particular mode of thinking but we need to be able to move out sometimes we have we have been stuck in a certain way of looking at god that god is supposed to act in this way he's supposed to move in that way but i have news for you this morning that god is not restricted to your perspective god is not restricted to your vision god is not restricted to your idea and 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 and, and the more you restrict yourself about who god is the more when you have doubt you cannot see beyond this particular moment and that is why the people in Malachi's day do not see beyond their problems. They're only stuck in their particular situation. And Lord knows, I'm speaking to somebody this morning who is stuck in a certain way of thinking, who is stuck in a certain way of mode. But I'm here to tell you, by the grace of God, break out. Get out of your four walls. 
Step out of it and allow God to show you things that he has never shown you before. And that is why you can revision your doubt this morning. You can start to say, you know what, Lord, I will not be stuck right here. I will not see the same way as I saw it. I will not look at my problems the same way. I will start to look at your problems the way you have envisioned them. And that is why you need to outweigh the present moment with what God has in store for your future. You need to outweigh the present moment with what God has in store for your future. You need to look at what God wants to do for you, not in this present moment, but for your future. The present is not all there is. There is... (laughs) There is a future because our problems is that we are stuck in four walls. We, we only see at the pre- we, we, we judge God based upon present evidence. We relate to God based upon present circumstance. And the reality is most of us do that. For example, I noticed that when it comes to a prayers, our prayers are basically the same thing again and again and again you know why because you are thinking about your present situation lord bless me with a job next week lord i need a job next week lord i did only when the job is given will you change your prayer then it will be lord i need a house lord i need a house lord i need a house and after that it's lord i need kids lord i need kids after that is lord i want this that is how we relate to god but that kind of relation to god may be limiting us we need to learn that we should not look at our present circumstances only we need to see and weigh god based upon what god is intended to do for us And that's what I love about this passage because God says, you know what? You are limited. You know what? You don't see the full picture. I'm about to show you the full picture. So what God does is this. He shows them the end game. (laughs) The end game. I'm not talking about Marvel now, but I'm talking about the, the end game. Marvel is not the end game. You know what I mean? But I'm here to tell you about the end game. And so here's what God says. Telling them about their end game. This is what God says. So a book of of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Mm, Good. This is beautiful right here. Uh, Please follow this right here. And this is what you need to take to the bank. God is saying, listen, a book of remembrance, a book of remembrance has been written for these guys. Those who fear the Lord. And here is something I need to point out. Not everybody in the time of Malachi was doubting God. There were some people who are still faithful to God. Hallelujah, somebody. And if you are still faithful to God, if you're true trusting God, be at that place. That's a place you need to be. Praise the Lord for that. And so here God is saying, talking about the end game of those who do not doubt God, who have a perspective that is beyond their four walls. God says, a book of remembrance has been written for those. <laughs> The remembrance, the book is not written for God. (laughs) It is written for those who trust God. I'm here to tell you that God has a record of you 
He keeps a record of you. Everything you do, everything you say, everything about your life is written down. God hasn't forgotten about you. Because when somebody forgets you, when somebody forgets to bring something to you, the message that is, is being communicated is you are not important. But I'm glad that God writes a book of remembrance for me. It tells me that God doesn't forget me. Hallelujah, somebody. It tells me that God has me on his mind. Now you can ask this question, uh, uh, Pastor, uh, I thought God has a big brain. God cannot forget us. In fact, the text says he has engraven us on the palm of his hand. Why is there a book of remembrance? Remember, the book is written for those who fear God. The book is not for the benefit of God. The book is for the benefit of you and I to let, to let you know and to let me know that God is thinking about me and you. And the point God is communicating is that, look, you and I, we, we have a, a thorough and deep relationship. You and I are, are, are together. And here is, 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 is the point of the text. And I just want to come back to, to, to verse number 16. It says, so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and those who meditate on his name. There is a condition right here. It's those who fear God. Now, it's not talking about being afraid of God or Shaking at the knees. But those who fear God, they have a thorough, a thorough knowledge of God. That is, they know God fully and deeply. They know God to the core. And, and that's why I'm here to, to propose to you that you can't doubt God when you have a thorough knowledge of him. You can't doubt him when he is entrenched in your memory and that is why a knowledge of God is so crucial when you have a knowledge of 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 of, of him I had a friend tell me once he says uh Henry you know I will never doubt my husband if somebody on the street tells me that my husband has cheated on me he's been seeing seeing another wife another woman I will never doubt my husband I will not bite on that I will wait for my husband to get home. We're going to sit down and we're going to have a discussion about it. But I will not feed into the chitter chatter of those around me. Because I have a knowledge of my husband. I know him a certain way. I know his heart. I know, I know his mind. And therefore, I need to have that conversation with him. So when people tell me negative things about my husband, I ain't going to flinch because the knowledge I have of my husband is going to guide me in this particular moment. And so if you have a knowledge of God, a bank account that is zeros is not going to make you flinch because you don't relate to your bank account. You relate to God who is in charge of the bank account. If you get fired, it's not going to make you flinch. It's not going to make you bite. It's not going to make you doubt because you have a relationship with, with God. And you don't relate to God based upon your job. You relate to God based upon your, your relationship and knowledge of him. If your marriage is in problems and, and divorce is, is, is knocking at your door, that will not make you flinch because you don't relate to God based upon your marriage. You don't relate to God based upon your family life. You relate to God based upon your knowledge of him. And therefore, in a season of difficulty, you are not guided by your situation. You are guided by God's grace and God's love and God's knowledge of you. And that is why Jesus could sleep 
in the storm. That is why Jesus could, could go to sleep and take a nap because he knew who he was related to. He knew who he was following. He was following God. And therefore the waves could not bring him down. And I'm here to tell you that the waves will not bring you down because you serve a God who is a maker of heaven and earth. You serve a God who created the storm, who, who is in charge and can still the storms. I do not know what is facing you right now, but please do not flinch because you know God. Because you know him. Because you relate to him. You see, when God remembers, it means it's time for him to act on your behalf. When God remembered Noah, the text says he brought him out of the ark. When God remembered Sarah, she had a baby called Isaac. When God remembered Hannah, she had a son called Samuel. Someone who is asked from God. Some to ask El, God, Samuel. I don't know what you're asking from God, but God can give it to you. And so God doesn't forget you. God hasn't forgotten you. And when God remembers you, it means that he's about to act on your behalf. And I'm here to declare to somebody and tell you that God has not forgotten you. God hasn't forgotten you at all. He's thinking about you right now. He, he loves you. He knows you by name. He knows the very hairs on your head and they are numbered. And this is what God says in verse number 17. They shall be mine. This is the end game. God is telling the, the, the people of Malachi, this is what is going to happen. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. What God does is this in his end game perspective. He's saying, I am going to do something. I'm not going to do it now, right now, but I'm going to do something on that day. When I make them my jewels. On that day when they are going to be a special treasure. And by the way, you're already a jewel of God before the day comes. That means you are precious in his sight. That means God looks at you as somebody as somebody special. Or on that day, the archangel will sound. And, and the trump of God will be heard. And he will descend. And we are going to rise up with the Lord. And we shall forever be with the Lord. On that day, we're going to hear... Well done, good and faithful servants. Oh, on that day, we're going to hear that these guys serve me and these guys when didn't serve me. God is going to separate the goats from the sheep. On that day, God is going to give us our mansions that he's been preparing for us for a long time. On that day, we shall forever be with the Lord. I'm here to tell you that do not judge your circumstance based upon what is happening right here. But I want you to judge your circumstance based upon what God is about to do. And here is how the story of Malachi ends. Talking to those people who are doubting God. This is what God says. Then you will know the difference. We may not know the difference right now between the wicked and the righteous. In fact, it is not our business to know who is righteous and who is wicked. I have no business in that. No do you. But we're going to know on that day the difference. And the difference is going to be clear. Those who serve God and those who didn't serve him. So right now, it may appear useless to serve God. <laughs> it may appear not profitable to serve God. But on that day, you're going to see. And which it tells me that the Christian experience is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a marathon. 
What that means is you need to build your endurance. Mm. And the way you build endurance is that you have to train every day. Train every day. Run every day. Run the race of faith every day. Trust God every day. And on that day, it's gonna, we're going to see how well you're prepared. On that day, it's going to happen. You see, there never comes a day and a time when, when God is useless. God is always useful. God can always do the amazing. And notice what verse 16 says. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. You see, I told you, God can handle your doubts. He can handle your, your challenges. He, he can handle them. All you have to do is bring them to them. He's going to listen to you, whatever they are. Now, now, now I, I need you to see the text in a very interesting way because uh, he is saying there are those who are doubting God who are not a part of those who fear the Lord. They, they have taken themselves out of the situation, out of the equation, but God is painting a picture of showing that, hey, Listen, there are people who fear me and their story is going to end well. The question is, are you willing to join them? You see, you get to choose whether you give your doubts life or you give them over to God. And Malachi is saying, please do not be on the outside. Please join in. And this is the gospel story that even though we may be on the outside, even though we may be against God, even though we may not love God as we should, but we can always come back. And Lord knows somebody needs to come back uh, with all your doubts, all your discouragements, all of your delays, all of your difficulties, all of your messed upness, whatever it is, God can, can, can take you back. And he can make you one of these Jews. And he can ensure that your story ends well. But the question is, are you going to choose to give your doubts life? Or are you going to give them over to God? I want to give my doubts over to God. I want God to take over. I want God to lead me. If it is your wish, bow your heads with me as we pray. Our mighty Father, we give you our doubts. Take them. Take them. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. God, see you. The next series is going to be called Endgame. See you soon. Next week.